Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, Blade Disgusting's horror video game podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I am the other one, Neil Paul. And for this month's edition of Horror Bites, in which Neil and I each highlight four bite-sized indie titles, we have a new bevy of games to chat about that can typically be completed in less than an hour. This month features a slight tweak to the formula for Horror Bites, as all of our picks are from demos offered as a part of the expansive Haunted PS1 demo disc Spectral Mall, which is available via Itch.io. These bite-sized demos were not only compiled by Haunted PS1, an indie community collective, but they feature an elaborate hub world that connects all of the demos that's called the Spectral Mall, which allows players to wander a decrepit mall, browse the demos that are offered within. You can also just select them from a menu at your leisure, which also provides a description of the games before diving into them. Um, And, you know, while Neil and I have each selected four offerings that look the most promising to us, we highly encourage everyone to check out the complete collection as there's something for everyone. And as always, if you can, please support the developers' hard work through their Itch.io, Steam, or Patreon pages, or at the very least, wishlist their project if that's an option. So, Neil, this is a little slightly different, like I said in the Mm. intro. All of the demos are connected by this hub world, which... You know, I guess the film comparison would be like an anthology, right, with VHS or something where you have something that is bringing all of these together. And yet they are all, you know, individual demos and experiences from different creatives and whatnot. Yeah, it's, um, you know, Dread XP and similar things with the the Dread X collections, you know, uh, like The Hunt, for instance, that is like has this overworld story of, you know, uh, this desolate base in the Antarctic or what it was and then the stories sort of come from within that and uh, are told so that yeah I like that sort of format um, it really suits these little bite-sized snack games quite well here it is very upfront and honest about what it is which is you know a demo disc and encapsulating that feeling of what PlayStation demo disc used to be like and how you would find some weird fucked up stuff sometimes like especially um the net arrow stuff which was um basically anyone who had access to the program the arrows version of the playstation could program their own little games and not publish them so to speak but they could be featured on that little that demo disc on the official magazine each month which was always interesting because you'd find some really cool games and this and other collections sort of skirt the line between those two things this weird, slightly off-kilter stuff and stuff that's more official. And, yeah, there's some of it here that really gets that, you know, really captures, um, you know, that feels like a PlayStation thing that could have been, but just has an edge to it that makes you uncertain about that. And then there's other stuff that's like, well, it's, it's in the ballpark, gets the idea. Maybe you wouldn't say PlayStation, maybe we'll say other console, just, but, yeah, that's particulars i think you can get away with it in sort of general theming that they go with yeah i was really really taken with the just the production value that ties all of these together right just even walking around the mall itself there is a good sense of atmosphere as if this itself could be a standalone experience but Hmm. it was something that i just loved to not only see you know channel that old school feeling you know people that grew up with whether it be you know PC Gamer Magazine or, like you said, PlayStation Magazine or something, and having those demo discs every month or every, you know, couple of months was always a way to, like, actually experiment with the types of games that you wanted to play. So this not only is a fitting format for, you know, bite-sized horror experiences, but, again, I just love the amount of attention that went into showcasing 
other indie developers work and whatnot in a package that, I mean, is expansive and expansive even seems to be a little bit of an understatement considering (laughs) it's almost 20 demos of, you know, varying lengths, varying types of experiences and, you know, all horror, which of course uh, is convenient for us in terms of coverage, but it was a nice variety of horror that you could see appealing to all ages and both casual horror fans and hardcore horror fans. So Hmm. I'm really excited to uh, dive into your first pick for the month. So my first pick is Perlin Festival by Talon Zane, um, which yeah, straight away made me think, oh, interesting uh, sort of 3D nonsense going on. But it's um, you know very surreal, uh, feverish is the way they explain it, um, inspired by surreal classics, but prioritizing random events and interactions within this sort of world. So it's kind of set up like a platform adventure in a lot of ways, but without the platforming, you just sort of go through these weird places and to find a door, go through that door, find a new place. And they're all very different and dreamlike and odd. And the people in it and the creatures in it are very strange. Yeah. It's, you know, obviously we're going to have this caveat with a lot of these things to say, well, you know, there are only portions of the game or there are only like early versions of what the game is going to be. And yeah, the, it feels like there's, going to be more added here especially where it, this does feel like a concept more than any of the other things I, I played I think but it works as a concept because of the tone of it you know it's very as I said it's very surreal very dreamlike and weird and that for me was straight away yeah cool like that, that that'll do me nicely um I think the sort of visual style that we get with all these games um going for that sort of PlayStation aesthetic, if you will, is cool. Here's one of the ones where I was like, well, it reminds me less of a PlayStation game, more like an N64 knockoff in a way. Um, But I get the the idea here of that. It it still has that oddball feeling of some of the weird adventure, puzzly platformer things that would crop up in that era. And um, yeah, while not like super horror-led, it's just strange enough i think to really be an interesting part of this package yeah you know this was one that i think was done a little bit of a disservice by it was the last horror bite that i played this month Mm. and after you know playing so many different experiences that had quite a bit more to them than i was expecting in some regards this one i think as you had said i really like the surreal nature, the dreamlike nature, and just the kind of general weirdness of all of these different kind of monsters and freaks, if you will, that are tied together between these doors and portals. And there is a good amount of variety there, but it kind of just fell flat for me in a way because I was like, okay, I'm not really doing anything other than just kind of walking through these zones. And, you know, I only get one or two little bits of this, you know, bizarre humor and dialogue from those creatures. And, Part of what I love about the dialogue is that it makes you feel like the outsider that you are. But at the end of the day, you're playing this little, it looks like a little boy that has kind of like no face. And it's almost like this, this cosmic space thing for a face. But at the end of the day, you're talking to these monsters and these weird creatures. So, but you're made to feel like you're the weirdo, Uh, which I appreciate, but I just needed a bit more instead of just like walking through the zones and then the interactions with those monsters and creatures are so brief that I was like, this is intriguing, but I just, I re- would really like more of this. Yeah. Especially for this collection. Yeah. I would like in the, um, 
main character to like some sort of fucked up Playmobil figure, you know. Yeah. Like it, yeah. it just <laughs> has that sort of aesthetic. And I don't, you know, I like how, how it sort of connects its levels in this deliberately slapdash fashion, you know, where nothing really makes sense because it suits the narrative that is there. And it really adds to this sort of disjointed atmosphere it has, you know, where nothing is coherent. As you said, that kind of leaves you wanting in a way because you're not quite sure where the the, the gimmick, if you will, ends and where you know, the product begins. And that's something that can be smoothed out in time, I think. That's the problem of having a sort of slice of life sort of thing like this. Um, it, it does the job, I think. But yeah, it's definitely got potential to be bigger and better. So... For you, let's uh, go on to your first pick. So my first pick for the month was Miracle Bug in the Electric Limbo by Autumn Rain. Mm. Um, and this one is basically you play a bug that's trapped in limbo, uh, which is depicted as this chromatic world. Um, and you encounter lots of creatures that have sort of, I guess the best way to describe it is like squiggle vision in that their yeah. lines are like constantly moving and dancing around, which really does create the sense that you're in a place that is not is not a safe place and not an inherently dangerous place. You're kind of just stuck in, quite frankly, limbo um, in this place that it's like you don't know what to expect and it is ominous and trying to just figure out not only how you get out of limbo, how you ascend, you know, hopefully, um, <laughs> but just kind of navigating a world that is, you know, I would say it has a lot of qualities that are similar to the game that we just discussed. At the same time, though, I think the real meat of this experience is when you actually do get to ascend, right? Uh, the early portion of this is spent interacting with weird creatures that are saying things that are like funny or just strange. But then at the end of the experience, you get to basically this guardian that allows you to attempt to ascend. And that's the real meat of the experience where the game goes from something that is kind of a standard adventure game and it really does evolve into what feels like a mer- uh, merging of like RPG mechanics, but then also like warrior wear conventions, almost sort of like spook wear in a way. Mm. But if anything, more abstract than that, I found. Um, so it has, again, like I said, the traditional sort of RPG setup, but the way that you deal combat to this creature that is preventing you from ascending is you have to select these strange cards that kind of look like tarot cards almost but you don't know anything about them other than they have these strange drawings on them. And every time you play a card, it triggers a mini game that in true warrior wear fashion does not really describe what you have to do. You kind of just have to feel it out (laughs) and you're more than likely, you know, take two or three instances before you get a handle on it. But once you do, it makes for this really fun sort of breakneck pace mini game, increasingly strange, increasingly, um, you know, just fitting this very strange world in a way that, you know, caught me off guard because a good portion of the experience is not indicating that you're heading in this direction. Again, like I said, yeah. it's just sort of wandering around, trying not to, you know, fall out of the environment and have to restart and uh, exploring an area and whatnot. But yeah, this one was uh, definitely a strong start, I thought, in terms of taking something that not only looks unique, but then sort of flipping the expectations that you might have just based off the way it looks by having this kind of, again, weird warrior wear RPG kind of combat mechanic, which I could see growing into a full experience. You can mm-hmm. encounter more monsters, of course, more mini games to be had through that. 
And uh, yeah, this was definitely a strong start this month for me. How did you find it? Yeah, I think it, it had a captivating nature. I mean, you know, the, the monochrome pixel visuals are really well done, an isometric sort of viewpoint as well that you can sort of shift around, which I found quite interesting, you know, to, to sort of see what appears to be quite flat objects to having like the extra dimensions behind them uh, was cool because, you know, yeah, it makes sense in an isometric viewpoint that you can do that, but you look at the visual style and think, oh, that surely wouldn't be the case here. But yeah, there it is. You um, can. Um, yeah, the, that intro stuff with the squiggly line stuff, as you put it, it it's very reminiscent of uh, like Edor's Faith, you know, with that sort of cutscene drawing, which is has an unnerving quality to it anyway. Um, but also the music is just like really nice and touchingly haunting yeah and i like that it was sort of giving you little tidbits of what you're doing what's going on as you go and confusing you that little bit just to sort of entice you into some sort of wider story um yeah as you said it takes a little while to figure some some stuff out no harm in that i think i think that works in its favor absolutely yeah especially when the mechan the actual like gameplay mechanic is so strong it's just mm. the type of thing that you know i almost wish it got introduced slightly earlier but at the same time you know it is so remarkable for that experience that you could see it being expanded in multiple ways just based off of you know the limited interactions you have in that world um and yeah that definitely was a strong start for me this month i'm glad you enjoyed it as uh, as much as i did yeah it was a good one to go with um so for my second pick. Uh, let's go with North Star Courier. I think will be this, which is one of the first things I looked at. And was like, oh yeah, I wouldn't mind uh, going with that. That's by Ben Drury. So this was one of the games where straight away I was like, well, this doesn't really feel like a PlayStation game to me. This feels like a Dreamcast game that's been lost in the ether. Which, but that's great because it works. Obviously not quite to that level of visual quality, but it, it felt like a Dreamcast game in so very Shenmue-esque you know, in some ways. Um, yeah, it, it really was an interesting idea. They went with it, sort of having this idea that you are delivering stuff around this island, you know, and but also you're given this side gig to work on your photography by snapping stuff around, you know, anomalies around the island. And... They are quite, some quite freakish things can show up and like you'll see people and things very fleetingly and then you'll go back around and turn around and they're gone and not in that sort of like horror way of like, oh, they're there, then you look away, then they're gone, like something like they're just casually sort of wandering around doing very like airy fairy things, you know, and being very, everything's very jolly, but it has, you can feel that atmosphere and sinister edge behind you know this other side to this place uh, and yeah i like that it wasn't you know trying to really lean too heavy into being like a horror thing it was more a case of coexistence of normality and like cryptozoology if you will and yeah i i, I like that pokemon snap for horror fans, effectively, I think is the, probably the best way you could put it, despite me saying it's very Dreamcast-esque. But yeah, the riding around on the scooter, the, the yeah, it's it's a strange beast, 
And I like that something so unique has been done with uh, an, you know, an idea like this. And yeah, lots to like about this one. Yeah, you know, I described it as being almost like Mario Sunshine in atmosphere of the, you know, the setting and everything. Mm. But like you mentioned, like that Pokemon Snap quality. And what I love about this game was that it didn't lead with the horror elements, right? It established the place. It established, it has this very sort of upbeat uh, tone to it all. It has this kind of like vacation-y type of music. You're bopping around this island. You're meeting these weird island inhabitants. But there is the sense that like something is slightly off. And then you see your first anomaly in the background very casually, but it takes you aback because it's so in contrast with the rest of the mm. world, um, which I found to actually be a little unsettling, right? The, yeah. The, the, the first one you encounter, it's basically prompted to you from the environment, but the rest of them don't have that same sort no. of like exclamation mark, which I found to be, again, re- very, very shocking at times where, especially when I was like revisiting an area and then it was an area I'd already been to twice, but I just... I either position myself just a little differently or I explored a little nook in the environment I had it. And then, oh, there's this thing there all of a sudden, which uh, definitely caught me off guard a couple of times. But I will say too, just the overall blending of the, you know, anomaly photo capturing, but also just the way that like the scooter handles, I thought again, Mm -hmm. was like more polished than I was expecting. All the dialogue and characters are very eccentric and goofy and silly which I'm always a a fan of. And, you know, without spoiling it, I'll say that like this experience has an ace up its sleeve the entire time, right when you get to the end and it kind of plays it. And it again, flips the expectations that you have about what this can actually Mm. be on its head in such a shockingly, but in a really exciting way that kind of like, Oh, I just barely scratched the surface of what this experience is. And uh, that makes me incredibly excited for it because if it didn't have that, I still would have enjoyed my time with it, right? And I still would want to check it out when it eventually comes out. But I feel like if it didn't have that curveball, it would have been like, okay, I kind of more or less understand what this experience will be like. And yeah. now, after experiencing that finale, I'm like, well, I had an idea, but now I'm just even more excited to see like all of the different ways that this could go, whether it be mechanics, whether it's... a the different ways in which the narrative branches out and whatnot. But yeah, this was a wonderful surprise also. Yeah. And I think it really was a testament to the fact that looking at it originally when picking what I could out of this package, I just saw that screenshot for the beginning thinking, well, I have to know what the horror deal is with this now, because this doesn't look remotely horror at lead. And I want to know if it's going to go very easy route or it's going to go very different route and it does just go you know the initial idea is quite different and then to get as you say to go in the way it does it really does just sort of up the ante and again that's probably the thing that feels most of an era you know um it really takes that nice little left turn and hopefully we'll run with it going forward so um before we head to a break um we'll get to your second pick then Yeah, so my second pick for the month was Gob by Gamma Girl Labs. And this one, I would say, is a puzzle adventure title Mm. that has a look similar to, like, the Oddworld games from back in the PS1 days, um, in which you awaken in a trash-infested apartment filled with puzzles that must be solved, and you are Gob, this strange creature that kind of just looks like an amalgamation of clay. 
um, that basically is a creature that doesn't say anything, you don't know anything about, and has no clear mission other than to escape the confines of your apartment. Um, it has this very unique claymation-looking art style that is all hand-painted, backgrounds and whatnot. Um, and it, basically, you're going to go around your apartment, interact with the, the environments. You're going to find items. You're going to combine items to, you know, of course, solve some of those puzzles and whatnot, which all sounds very sort of stock standard for an adventure game. But there's just something about the way that this is constructed, not only this really unique uh, art style and whatnot, but there's no talking in the game. There's no text in the game. It's all physical storytelling or just, you know, implying to the player what they need to do, mechanically speaking, without any sort of a regular tutorial. Like, you can essentially dual-wield items in either hand. You can put them down. You can prioritize certain things. But you also have the option to take the items that are in either one hand or both hands and basically slam them together. And so there's one where you find an item and you need a piece off of that item. So what do you do? You take the item and you basically just punch it and break it into the item that you need, um, which you know is very simplistic. But at the same time, when you're thinking about an experience that, again, it doesn't bog the player down with text, doesn't spell anything out, it is fairly intuitive still. Mm. Um, and I thought that that was just an interesting approach when a lot of these games, while they might be you know, it, trying to embody PlayStation classics, whether that be art style or gameplay, this one goes in a route that feels like it's from an older era of game design almost, but has that PS1 you yeah. know, aesthetic and look to it. Um, yeah, I just was really impressed with something that looks so wholly unique, that's confident in not only its bizarre world and art style, but the fact that it's trusting the player to trust in them that if you, you know, experiment, you are going to be able to find a solution to these puzzles, which is the uh, the basis of most uh, successful puzzle games. Um, but yeah, I'm curious like how this landed for you. So I think something that didn't help it for me was I just replayed Portal for the umpteenth time. And um, yeah, there is a game that is obviously, you know, an exquisite use of puzzling and narrative. So <laughs> it was never going to be easy for Gob after that in terms of the puzzle <laughs> stuff. Especially as you know, a lot of this is uh, made from the era of point-and-click stuff. You know, It's got that sort of vibe. So it's a bit of that, bit of Odd World in terms of how it deals with its puzzling. Both things I wasn't like a massive fan of back in the day and still like, oh, I'm okay with them now. And I like variants of that. But uh, yeah, so it was... Yeah, as a game, it was the thing I liked the least, I think, of the things we played. But the presentation of it was just like, wow, I really like that. And like the stuff on the radio with all the little unique songs and things that play on it. I wanted to know more about the world and I, d I didn't want to put so much work into finding out, <laughs> which is quite, <laughs> which I know is a very lazy way of putting it, but it just, yeah, I would love to have that world in a more simplified uh, environment, if you will. I suppose it comes back to another claymation game that we uh, had on before, which was um, Go Fly a Kite, which uh, is very simple, but uh, gives you so much in that, you know, and so it gives you an idea of what its world is about as it goes on, while still being very abstract. And, and I like that about it. So... It, 
it's not probably the fault of God that, that I ended up feeling quite disheartened by it because you know when it was in motion, those first few seconds, I was just like, "Oh, okay, this this really does just look interesting to me." I love the presentation of it, how grimy and nineties it feels, you know, which is perfect. But yeah, as a game, it is nah, it's just not my bag, uh, unfortunately. But I, like I said, that's just me. I think a personal problem. I guess I will. I'll finish by saying, you know, with the Oddworld games, I'm the only Oddworld game that I actually like is Stranger's Wrath. I tried Same. to go back and play the, the older ones, <laughs> uh, and the older ones just were not for me. But like you had mentioned, like the art style in that world, I'm absolutely a massive yeah. fan of. Considering I've never finished either of those games, but <laughs> I love the way it looks, and it's a world that is representative of some of my favorite fantasy games or just games in general, right? Worlds that don't tell you a great deal, but they kind of just, they they give off a certain vibe of what that world could be like. And all I see in those worlds is like the potential for stories that could be yes. told within them. I'll say with Gob, it's a similar thing, except I was taken with the puzzles in the gameplay. So it's something that, you know, I'm hopeful when it eventually comes out for a full release that it capitalizes perhaps on those qualities of the classic Oddworld games that never quite did for me. Hopefully this will in a way that maybe, you know, helpful that it's um, it seems to be a little more linear, right, than the Oddworld stuff, which kind of was a little more free flowing um, and a lot less handholding. But, uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll have to see about uh, how Gob shapes up for the uh, the final release, hopefully, hopefully next year. uh, But we'll have to wait and see. But uh, before we dive into your next pick, I think we're going to take a quick break and when we come back. We'll continue with Horror Bites. All right, and we are back with more horror bite goodness. Uh, Neil, what was your next pick for the month? My next pick for the month is Blast Cats by Blast Cats Death. Um, so yeah, I, when I saw your picks initially, I was like, well, I'll, I'll try and go with the you know, slightly less obvious things for, that were left because I didn't want us to sort of have a samey collection, and that, I think it's a testament to this group of games anyway that. There is such variety in such a small space. Um, it is a real selection box sort of thing in that regard. So, Blast Cats is as a self-professed love letter to classic 3D platformers. Um, you bomb your enemies and smash them flat with a mighty hammer. And they're usually like zombies or skeletons or ghosts or whatever. Um, you go, you start through a graveyard. There are like, like coffins that lead you to sort of levels. So, and then you go into a haunted house effectively and do the same thing. And these like side levels are like weird mesh up things of all sorts of, um, you know, stuff that has been from platforming past from like, yeah, it, it's difficult to sort of describe in that regard. <laughs> but, um, I really quite liked the initial vibe of it. It felt very, Perfect for the time I was playing it. Yeah. The autumn vibes I want at this time of year, it was there in this game. It straight away brought me back to the year of being in college and like, um, going to the local game, you know, the game being the name of the store, uh, we have here. That, um, and like going in there and ha- playing a demo of medieval and just thinking, wow, this is really cool. It's amazing. And I've, I've got to play this sometime. 
And it was just like that. It was just that kind of autumnal experience without ever trying to be medieval. You know, it's a very different game, but straight away it had that sort of vibe. I was like, spooky platformer. Brilliant. Yeah, that'll do. Um, yeah, so the little levels that are within it are very different to that. You know, they are just like platforms in the sky, clouds in the sky, do this sort of thing or hit this. But it's akin to what Mario did you know, and uh, with stuff like Sunshine and Galaxy and that where you have these sort of cut off levels from the rest of the game that don't really fit the aesthetic but are there and yeah it was nice like what there is of it Um, and it really did just feel like something that came from that time in a lot of ways Um, more than anything I think I played it, it, it gets the haunted PS1 idea perfectly because, as I said, it actually feels like a, a PS1 game on so many levels, but it has that edge to it that belies that. And yeah, that, that's what I would really want from something that is proclaiming to be you know, haunted PS1 demos. It, it's stuff that really does just get every aspect of that in it. And so yeah, without being like anything overtly boo horror, you know, it, it's very much like. Um, but that's that's exactly what I like about uh, this variety of things. You can have so many different ideas and different takes on horror that work because of that. So yeah, wonderful time I had with that. Um, I would like to see more of it as a game. Hopefully, so, this is one of those things I'd love to see on multiple multiple platforms because I think it would be really mm. cool, really work quite well. Yeah, this was one that, you know, uh, after having played it, a little ashamed to admit, like, I was the most skeptical of just based off mm. of how it looked. Because, you know, somebody that had a PlayStation 1 but didn't necessarily grow up with one and trying to go back and play some games, I was like, well, I enjoy some of these platformers, but these controls don't hold up as they should, I find, it, when I was coming to them, you know, far too late after their release. But that was all, you know... Quell my worry about that was quelled <laughs> almost instantaneously because Blast Cats really does control like basically the most well defined uh, most well refined platformer you could I think from that era right it yeah. handles incredibly well I love that aesthetic of as you said you know medieval and I would say that it's medieval by way of Luigi's Mansion yeah. um, and the fact that you know you can go around you're bombing these creatures or ghosts or hitting them with mallets and these things there's some collectibles. There's expanding your arsenal of bombs periodically. There's some light puzzle solving in there. And yeah, it's, you know, it's uh, E for everyone type of fall experience to uh, appreciate. And yeah, I love the fact that they're able to include those more platformy elements, but have it be in a separate section of the experience, right? Because if you're going to have those cloud jumping and sort of just jumping from platform to platform type of bits that might get hard to kind of pursue within the confines of the essentially a haunted house that you investigate. But the fact that they're able to include it in a way that makes sense, that feels like something that was a common feature in platformers from back in the day. And even, you know, some of them uh, that are now trying to channel that very classical feel of that genre. um, I found this to be incredibly successful. And again, it handles like a dream. Uh, I even was, you know, admittedly, again, too lazy to plug in my controller, which is how it recommends it to play, (laughs) but it still plays perfectly fine on the keyboard and mouse I found. Um, And yeah, this was definitely one for me that was like my monthly gut check in terms of like, don't judge something just based on the way it looks, because it can end up being a hell of a lot of fun and being a highlight of, you know, horror bites for me. And this was also one that, 
you know, I, I would hate to ever kind of set a benchmark in terms of the scope of an experience that a horror yeah. bite should cover. But this I found has an incredible amount of, you know, um, content for this small bite-sized slice. Uh, not to say that it's an experience that goes above that hour sort of benchmark that we've mentioned, but it definitely feels like a full-fledged demo in a way that you only used to find on those demo discs from way back in the day where it was like, oh, this feels like a good chunk of the experience, just enough that you get to kind of satiate your appetite, but it's not enough that you are like, oh, I'm kind of over that. I'm looking for more as soon as I can get my hands on it. And uh, yeah, Blast Cats was quite literally a blast to play. Uh, and I definitely look forward to uh, seeing more of that in the future. Yeah, absolutely. So your penultimate pick then. Yeah, so my uh, penultimate pick is going to be Dead Letter Department by Mike Monroe. And that was about, you know, you're putting these sort of <laughs> the mundane shoes of someone who has just moved to a new city, uh, but by chance has learned about temp work at a data entry job. Uh, the role is simple. You are transcribing hard to read mail into your computer. But, uh, you know, as the task grows more tiresome, strange things begin happening mm. in your office as well as the type of mail that you're sifting through. Uh, so the perspective that the player has is a first-person perspective of just a desktop computer. And you've got these little sticky notes on it that kind of tell you the controls and whatnot. And you quite literally are flipping through mail that has been damaged or smudged in the mail to varying degrees. And you're quite literally transcribing addresses, names, and eventually, you know, short messages that are written on the backs of these postcards or, you know, just what's written on an envelope. And that's all well and fine until, of course, as these things typically do, it takes a little more of a spooky, supernatural thing. The lights start flickering. You start reading strange things on these letters that there's no way that anybody would send in their right mind. Um, yeah. And it, it definitely has, you know, I, as I quite frequently come back to, it has this kind of creepy pasta feel to it, but at the same time, I love the sense of agency that's there, you know? It's kind of like, okay, you can't progress unless you're going to continue going down this rabbit hole and quite literally making the player type every letter or type every number that's on something and, you know, scanning the mail because you can like zoom in to read hard to read things or yeah. quite literally flip the mail over to find something waiting for you on the back of it. And I just really loved the fact that they play around again with one of the things that we have tried to champion the most on this show, I think, which whether intentionally or not, is taking a mundane situation and applying the supernatural to it. Um, and this game does that really, really well, I thought, doing something that was a combination of being very subtle and kind of dread-inducing, right? The mail very slowly and gradually becomes increasingly strange to the point that you can't deny there's something yeah. more afoot here. <laughs> um, and I thought that it was just, again, it's an isolated sort of experience. You're always going to be looking at that monitor up until you know the end of the experience, which we don't have to get into. But I was very taken with the fact that they're able to make something that capitalizes on like the, probably one of the least desirable types of jobs you could do, but makes it entertaining in kind of making the player want to understand what's going on behind the scenes yeah. or at the very least getting to the next creepy little kind of short horror story sometimes that's written on one of those letters um, in a way that, yeah, I really, really enjoyed this one. How'd you find it? So 
data entry is and like is something I detest because if you've ever had to transcribe an interview that you've done, it's like <laughs> it's like that sort of thing, and it's just such a slog. But you, there's a reward to it when you do that. That, that really sort of sort of spurs you on to make it work, you know. And this is a game that really makes you work for what it's going for. You know, it, it's the very definition of a slow burner. You know, and every time I sort of huff and roll my eyes at, oh, oh i got to write all that. Or I can't see that. What if I'm wrong about that? I don't really want to make a mistake. It's like, it brought very real sort of frustrations with like a work a day sort of thing to the fore. And yet, because of those little moments where it does just go a little weird and a lot weird, you know, it made it compelling. It was like, well, if I get through this bit, if I do this little bit of work, I might get to uncover this next bit, you know, you know, which is a very brazen way of doing it. You know, many games do that. You know, they give you something simple over and over again that you could criticize as being repetitive in some way, shape or form, but it's the point, you know, it's the idea is like, no, 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 if you're invested in this, then it won't matter. It's like, yes, it will feel like a slog, but you're willing to endure it because you want to know what the fuck if you, what's going to come next. And the best trick this pulls is that it goes from being, you know, you'll have these moments of like, what the fuck is this about? You know, and there's, uh, there's a, a recipe that comes up, but you know, especially <laughs> at one point that is like, oh, okay, what the hell is this about? Uh, can I read the rest of this piece and realize why this is being sent? And yeah, it just goes back to normal, you know, normal typing out of data again. And it does it over and over again. And I love that, that it just sort of teases you with the one or two bits and then just goes, no, I'm going to do that. And then it will just poke at you with little things like suddenly giving you a notification that says, oh, yeah, you've got 79 or left to do in this <laughs> rare. It's like, what? Uh, yeah, it's meant to make you feel that way. You know, th- that you begin to understand that, that it's not, it's not just them to sort of eke out every bit of, uh, horror possible of it by um, ratcheting up, by making everything mundane to the point of frustration. It's there to push forward what this is about, whereas most of it you are just going to be like, okay, tap, 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 do it, do it like that, because that's the job. And then when you get these sort of things that stand out, you're okay, okay. So, and they're always the things that are longest, the things that you would otherwise go, Fuck off! I'm writing that. You know, it's like, like <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, like it, that's that's loads to write. But then you're reading it. Okay, oh, where does this connect? Where does that? I mean, we only recently talked about immortality and that sort of connecting of dots and things, and how that you know something that seems so innocuous can be, you know, fundamental to the whole experience for one person to another because it just you look at it and go oh, okay yeah this, this drags me into the, what this story and it isn't clear for a long time really what the fuck is going on it is just a case of oh yeah this is happening that's happening you're hearing weird noises occasionally and it's like and i love the fact that you're hearing them and it's like you can't do anything about them you just have to hear them and you kind of expect at any moment that it's like you're gonna be ambushed or something and that's it that is the joy of it so I really respect what they've done here in trying to make it such a slog to get through. 
so few games, uh, in, especially at this level, try that and really try to be abrasive to the player. And I, I think, yeah, this is very much the sort of thing. This is not for everyone, sort of thing, you know, in a very, you know, capital letters sort of sense. And I'm glad for that. Well, I think we need that. I, I'm sitting here now saying that, you know, I had that feeling with it where I just constantly feeling also the dread of that. Oh, do I really have to write all this out to go to, to find something else out? But I did it. You know, and there are games that have offered mundane tasks in the past where I'm like, nah, you know, I'm, I'm checked <laughs> out. I don't get, I don't care. I, I would rather just not continue playing this now. Um, it's boring, but this, just does enough. Just does that little bit to make you think, oh, okay, okay, I'll, I'll do this next one, then this next one. And it's just a small number of things each time you have to do to really sort of get a little payoff. And the fact that it keeps throwing those little surprises in there as well really makes it shine as an experience. Those surprises too come just when you feel like you're at your, not wit's mm. end, but you feel like you're at your limit for how many addresses and things you're going to type out. And then you immediately, it feels like, get that reward of this creepy little post that is its own little kind of microcosm of a horror story, which I is what I really, really think is a strength to it, right? Because at one point during the experience, it's like, oh, maybe there's something else going on in this office or in this world. But the fact that you keep getting these different little creepy tidbits, but they're, none of them seem to be connected to a greater story. That's what I love is that it feels like this kind of just assault of horrors through the ages, if you will, in many yeah. different ways. Um, and like I said, I think that it, it doles out its scares or its un- most overtly unsettling uh, moments just when you're about to be like, I think I've had enough. And then, of course, <laughs> you get that reward right there. Um, but yeah, this is definitely one that I'm going to be keeping an eye on. And uh also, you know, the office and just the world outside of the computer also has this, you know, kind of green, grainy tint aesthetic to it that yeah. reminds me of like a lot of early 2000s Japanese horror films. And that was something that right there, I was just like, oh, okay. If I do get to explore more of this world, I hope it's like that because that is just like something that uh, is a microcosm of horror that I'm very much a fan of. Yeah, yeah, it's... There's a few games this year that have that kind of vibe to it and, you know, that are really good. And I think this really deserves to stand alongside those games. Yeah. I think of Immortality. I think of Inscription from last year. Uh, they are games that offer you something very ordinary on the surface and just unravel something deeper and darker underneath. And, that's the half the fun is sort of figuring out what the hell is going to happen next. And yeah, so it's, yeah, it's a really strong, strong sort of uh, opening statement for that. But uh, let's dive into your final pick for the month. Yes. So my final pick for the month is we're open by oats. So this is a procedurally generated horror CRPG. So think world of horror, think death road to Canada, those sort of things where, you know, you are basically doing the same thing, but certain random events happen each time that makes it slightly different. And there are two games, though we haven't covered them on the show, I really, really fucking love those games. You know, they, they are two games I cherish so much for what they do. Um, Taking a mental note of that for future coverage. Yeah, we will definitely get there at some point. So it's it's a supermarket simulator. You are running a supermarket. Um, you are the manager of it. 
uh, and you've basically got to manage the employees, tackle the day and night shifts, and make hard decisions to keep the store running each hour of the day. Basically, yeah, all those nightmare things of running a store or being in charge of stuff is horrible in retail. Um, but with a really sort of oddball horror twist, you know, that comes up more and more as you go into it, where things get more and more demented, you know, the look of it definitely, definitely fits that sort of era. I would say possibly pre-PlayStation in a lot of it. But I get it, you know, it's, you know, it has turn-based battles against shopping trolleys. It has disturbing horror moments on the night shifts. It has Death Road to Canada's a sense of humour in the progress of time and little events that happen in that and how the random characters that come into your party, so to speak, can have their own personality in, inflicted on what the story does. Yeah, it, that that's a high praise from me, I will say, to anything that captures what Death Road to Canada can do this well is f- fucking doing a great job. You know, and, and this is really doing that. There's so such depth to it already, you know, and the systems and the, like, it's overwhelming to a, to a degree in the same way that Death Road is. And while it's not as hands-on as Death Road, you know, you don't go out there and do it yourself so much. It's just cool that you have, like, an hour of the day goes by, you get a choice, do this, do that. And, like, and it keeps going and then you have to arrive to keep making sure you collect stuff to keep doing the job, employ the right kind of people to take on the task of the day. But you never know what you're going to get because it is procedurally generated. So you could be fucked up by your smart thinking, oh, well, if I get someone who does you know, is reckless or is like a slacker or whatever, you know, and think, oh, it might work for this playthrough. It probably won't because, you know, that's the nature of it. And I suppose that will be the long-term problem to solve is making that not a pain in the ass <laughs> right. because you know you are you know, you're getting beat on by the game just because it decides nah, no we, we've made this decision you have to have some sort of advantage or ways to flex what you have and make it work for the situation and i think generally it works quite well but i think it just needs a bit more explanation of what it's doing the, the tutorial for this is very much like a an instructional video that you would get for a job at the time, and yeah, perfect, brilliant, love it. <laughs> Wheel in the cart with the big TV and yeah. VHS player on it, and just go, hey, by the way, this is the gospel now for your life. Yeah, and that's it, and I just love it. It, it has that cultish element to it, which is just brilliantly uh, observed sort of horror or retail and working in retail that, yeah, it is like being part of a cult that you're only sort of, you're not really willingly into, but the people, there are always people that are. And you just think, why? <laughs> it's like, what? It's, like <laughs> it's like this job is never going to turn you into a millionaire. So why the fuck do you care <laughs> like right. about it this much, you know? But people do, a little bit of power takes it that way. And people who are very uncomfortable in that, it, it's a miserable experience. You know, and I, I've, found that in jobs in my past in retail and you know, customer facing jobs it, the worst ones always ones where you, you get to the powerpoint and you think oh yeah okay so i've done well enough to get here and then you have to do it and you're like oh, 
it's a whole other layer of bullshit. And it's just right. I do it. It's like, yeah, this is the fun version of that. So at least, you know, it's like, but um, yeah, I really, really like what it's going for. Again, this is one of those I, I really want a full game from straight away, which you know, they have a, they have a patron, uh, you know, so I would go there and to definitely donate to that if you like this demo because please we want this to happen I, I want this to happen I, I really think this is horror in so many ways and also it's wonderfully daft you know, whatever game allows you to have turn based battles against shopping trolleys you know, that, right. that, <laughs> and it or feels use trash well. to heal or, yeah or use trash to heal sell the stuff you found in the garbage Yeah, it just more of this, please. Yeah, I found it to be almost kind of reminiscent of uh, Earthbound, just mm. in terms of like how it sets up its combat, the you know the RPG kind of style of that. But at the same time, it has Earthbound sort of aloof nature in its early hours, right? It really is a type of thing that you're only going to persevere through failure for the first maybe few hours that you're playing it, really to experiment with things that give you a sort of a description of what they do but at the same time there is that air of sort of just randomness to the world itself which i love because that not only bleeds from the mechanics but it does into you know the (laughs) just i guess the humor of the game but also you know the ways in which they would perceive things or present things rather that are maybe standard rpg fare but like you've been saying they apply to this retail uh, setting and the horrors of retail, the very real world horrors uh, of retail, I'll say. Um, but yeah, this one was definitely something that I was taken aback at how deep the mechanics were, right? Again, it feels like something that is more so than just a proof of concept. It feels like a demo that has a great deal of features in it that show, you know, not only could this be a viable product that we could get, you know, in the near future, but just the way that this could grow and flourish into an RPG that you could spend numerous hours with, uh, maybe mm-hmm. along the lines of uh, those two games that you had mentioned earlier. But yeah, I just love taking a RPG mechanic and then applying it to the setting that you would think it would be in the least, right? Which is, again, yes. working at a supermarket and, of course, all the horror elements that go along with that. And as we've now said multiple times, fighting uh, fighting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, shopping carts and whatnot is uh, is hilarious in its own right. Um, but yeah, I like also just how it juggles the day and night mechanic too. Yeah, and how that has layers to it. Again, capitalizing on you know the horror side of things, where it's like, ooh, what's going to come out from around the corner at night? But also just the dread of having to work an overnight shift anywhere yeah. in retail. Uh, it definitely capitalizes, maybe triggers me a little bit. Um, oh, yeah. But I, defi- <laughs> yeah. I thought that this was wonderful. I thought that this was something that was overwhelming. You know, you mentioned immortality earlier. I found the demo for this to be a little overwhelming, but in the sense that it's so intriguing that I want to master the mechanics in the full-fledged product, yeah. right? I want to really get into the world more so than whatever the 20 or plus minutes that the uh, the demo offers. I just kind of want to get into that world and start a campaign, if you will, um, and just go into that world and try to survive as long as I can. Yeah, I think um, the way it is like that, you know, where it feels overwhelming here, just feels like part of the point, because that is what taking that kind of role in that kind of job is. It's needlessly, needlessly overwhelming, you know, because... Um, people make it that way to 
I don't know, for whatever fucking reason, but they do. And so, yeah, it's straight there that you have, if you've ever experienced that, that stress is straight in there, you know, in your head. Oh, fuck. You know, it's like, <laughs> even though it's very lightly done, it's still there. And you have to deal with some sort of drama. It's not that bad, but it's still there. It's more believable in that respect than, say, Death Road, because, you know, you are dealing with something that is more common and mundane. But yeah, it, it's a fantastic concept that I really, as we said, I want to see it. I want to see this whole game, and that's it. But, you know, um, we have one more game now, which is your pick, and I'm so glad you picked this last, because yeah, when I played it, I was struck with thinking... If he picks this last, then Christ, there, there's some weird symbiosis going on with us here. You know, <laughs> because this is just going to be, without a doubt, my favourite thing for this entire collection. And <laughs> not, not in the way that it should have been. I, I, maybe, I don't know, but it's, yeah, it was staggering. So please tell us what your final pick was. Well, I am thrilled that you enjoyed this as much as I did. Uh, this is going to be 10 Dead Doves by Duonix Studios, and in 10 Dead Doves, which is an amazing name, uh, <laughs> you're going to play as backpacker Marcus, who's joined by his backpacking friend, Sean, and uh, they certainly get more than they bargain for when they embark on their most daring trek yet, the Appalachian <laughs> Wilderness. Um, but just as their trip begins, it becomes skin-crawlingly apparent that uh, there's something in the woods other than them. And then uh, Marcus begins to have strange visions of an otherworldly being. So a lot of the way that I'm going to describe this is not going to sound all that different from other games that we have covered on the show, no. but it will become apparent why this was such a standout, I think, for both of us once I get past the sort of yeah. setup in that, in that <laughs> this is, you know, channeling survival horror games of, you know, the PS1 era. Fixed dynamic perspective, you have full inventory, map, and all of these things. You're, you know, you're going to come across locked doors, you're going to need a key, you're going to come across puzzles that you're going to need yeah. to solve. Tank controls. Tank controls. Well. But I'll say more refined than some of the some of the games we've played that uh, oh, yeah. have tried to channel those tank controls, but instead of, you know, allowing for some modern smoothing over of those handling of controls this actually feels incredibly intuitive and doesn't mm. feel as if it bogs down your progression or rather your exploration yeah. of the environment while still, while still giving you that sort of you know nightmarish swimming and treacle feeling that you're supposed to yeah. have you know it's there still yeah. whilst not being like oh fuck this game for making me play this way so it's, right I'll say you're not turning on a dime, but you're also not getting stuck on bits of the environment f as yeah. frequently as you might have. <laughs> but um, the game really does set an interesting tone right from the jump mm. of that tutorial, right? Where you basically come to and you are in this white world and all that it is is a table with a chessboard and you sit down and then you begin playing chess against a dove. And you go through this very <laughs> surreal world where there's this crazy monster and it essentially teaches you the fundamentals of what I just described. And then you get right into the moment of your trip in, through the Appalachian uh, wilderness and trying to, you know, not only navigate the woods, but then, of course, coming across. It has a very familiar setup to like a lot of horror movies, right? In that you come to the, uh, the convenience store, the gas station, and you interact with the strange local and you have to get provisions. And, oh, there's the semblance that something has been going on in these woods that we are not prepared for. 
And then really, you know, it gets into a lot of the familiar trappings of exploring the wilderness and things begin to go bump in the night and whatnot. Uh, I was incredibly taken aback by just the level of production value that this has. Yeah. In the sense, you know, you've got full voiceover work. You have truly, you know, dynamic camera angles in this, in both the cutscenes and just in general, those fixed perspectives. Um, again, some of the things that we've described this as have, you know, we've experienced before plenty of times, but this has a true cinematic quality, I find, to mm. the way that it's presented in a way that feels far more refined than some of the maybe proof of concept experiences that we have played over, you know, the course of the year. Um, and I really can't over or underestimate, uh, undersell, you know, maybe the, the voice acting is not, does not, is not always pitch perfect, if you will. But I will say that, you know, the quality of that and the fact mm. that there is a great deal of it, the fact that it has that quality where when you interact with items that might not, you know, end up being key story items, you're still getting pieces of information about characters. You're getting pieces of information about the world or how they're feeling in the moment. And those are fully voiced. And those yeah. are the small qualities that when you add them up, it makes for an experience that feels far more polished as if there's a much bigger team behind this than there actually is, right? It's only a handful of people, I believe, mm. behind this. Um, and it does a good job of presenting believable characters, a good job of utilizing humor, but the humor is paced so that way it doesn't kind of take on the life of like almost a horror comedy, right? It's very subtle. It's very uh, fleeting, if you will. And then the buildup to the more overt horror elements of this story and sort of just how you don't get a whole lot of it. You don't get a big reveal, but you're left with something that's incredibly intriguing that ties together, you know, urban legend. It ties together perhaps a sci-fi narrative to it or maybe a monster narrative to it and it's the type of experience that I love because it draws you in and then it gives you just enough without explaining anything. I, nothing is explained really by the end of this experience. And I have so many questions and they're questions that I really can't wait to uh, get to the bottom of. So Neil, I'm curious, like what about this made it such a standout for you? Like it did for me. Well, so, you know, the, the main characters are voiced and you know, faced uh, by two of the devs, Mark Byron the second and Sean Michael Millard. They, they are the, the main characters of this game. And you were saying about the dialogue and how it is. It is inherently terrible a lot of the time, <laughs> but that absolutely feels like the point. It doesn't feel like scripted movie dialogue. You know, it feels like two people having their own personal private conversations and their own personal language constantly. And it kind of bugged me uh, going through it. I was thinking this has to be deliberate because the production values of this are amazing. And I don't see these people as being stupid enough to then go and throw it away for bad dialogue necessarily. It has to be deliberate. It has to be part of it because it was endearing to me. It really was. I, that's the thing. It's like you can call something terrible in terms of if you're going to compare it to a film, but this isn't a film. It's a game and it's two people actually just chatting and having their own you know, stuff that you would don't understand necessarily because you aren't them. You aren't in their little personal world in much the same way. If you hang out with a couple of people who've always hung out and you're like the third wheel, like they will have their own personal language and dialogue and 
a lot of that seems like it's here. And when I went to the Steam page to wishlist this, fucking immediately. <laughs> Me um, too. <laughs> yeah, and I looked at like the review thing that they had there, and the first review is from someone saying, you know, Tender does grip me for the entirety of its runtime for a perfect balance between horror and comedy. And the most bewildering part is that I'm not entirely certain it was trying to. Yeah, you know, it's like the fact that they've they've put that up as one of the reviews you know, for this game it says everything. It says they meant it. They absolutely meant it to be that way, and that was just oh yeah, brilliant. And to be honest, even if they hadn't, I, I think I would have just enjoyed what they're going for because when you get something that is like dodgily made and you. You know, we get stuff occasionally. It's like, you know, the, the grammar is terrible and, you know, the things that are just aping other things, but you, you get a, a sense of why they're going for something and what they're doing. Here, it's something very deliberate about everything, you know, like that. And it's so smartly made. And despite being this fucking, this really goofball experience, it never forgets that it's a horror game. You know, it, it, when it actually goes into horror it, late, late in this demo, it is genuinely a really good horror moment. It generally gets you, oh shit, you know, the noise, the sound that they use in that moment is remarkable. And it becomes this great thing because of that. Because at that point you're like, oh, okay, so there's lots of jokey things and you're not sure what to make of what's going on. But yeah, the second it actually went to horror, that was it. I was sold completely. I was like, oh, no, this, this is doing good work. This is taking all the stuff everyone else is doing and making it very personal and making it feel... Yeah, ironically, by not being like a film, a horror film, it's the most horror film-like thing, you know, in terms of these sort of survival horror throwbacks I've played. And uh, yeah just something about the atmosphere of it again i was saying earlier about you know stuff that sort of gives me that autumnal vibe and it, this really did you know and it really did just feel like ah this is definitely i'm glad i'm playing this in september you know it's that sort of game it just felt like a game for september and yeah I, i'm just gonna babble on forever about it really <laughs> if, I, if i don't shut up in a minute because this is just it's really difficult to describe how much I loved this and how much was like, fuck yeah, like I said, straight to Steam, straight to Wishlist. I will follow this game intently now because I want to know where it is going. Because, you know, I, I am just, I love the vibe they're going for. I love how weird and absurd it is and how personal it feels. You know, and yeah, I, yeah, I don't think it's going to be even if you take away the fact that it's very like personal uh, sort of relationship in terms of the conversations they have, that it isn't the best written thing ever, but it works so well for this. Well, it, it feels it, very it, genuine. Yeah, it kind of just yeah. feels like conversations that I'm sure these two devs have when they're not, you know, working on games or perhaps when they are working on games. Right. And that was something I actually played this twice. That's the first time I've ever done that with one of these horror bites where I went back and played it a second time. And the thing that, clicked for me because like you I was thinking well this is like not the best written dialogue I've ever heard it might feel like oh okay this is kind of a little more 
I would say my initial impression was amateur. I would I thought that it was a little more amateurish than the rest of the package indicated mm. of what they were truly capable of, right? Because again, when we talked about the production value for this, really can't be undersold in terms of just how strong it is and how phenomenal it is. But the thing that really sold me on, okay, they're actually in on the joke, and I think that yeah. that's why I, the humor works so well is that it's yes. a clear cut example. People that are in on the joke. And they don't care if people aren't in on it as well, right? And it was the fact that once you finish the experience, you get this screen basically of the two characters again, and they're thanking you for playing the experience. They're, you know, they're asking you to wish list, follow them on Twitter, these things. And then it just kind of stops once they're done with that. And it's just you staring at them and like six or seven seconds go by and they go, we're just going to keep staring at you if you don't quit out of the experience. And like, that's what sold it for me. And I was like, fuck it. I'm going back and playing this again and fully understanding that, you know, it is intentional that they are in on it, that two people that made an experience like this, that is able to hit those, you know, the ebb and flows of this type of experience between humor, surrealness, horror, more classical horror elements and creating a mystery that you are intrigued by, but still don't know very much about um, is really something that I find to be special. And it's something that is not only a highlight of the month, but it's something that, I mean, it sounds like we're definitely covering this in the future uh, as soon as we get to, you know, get closer to a final release, hopefully for it. But yeah, I thought that this would be a fitting one for us to end on. And, you know, as usual, we seem to be of one <laughs> mind on most of the games we cover because this was uh, by and far one of the best experiences I had this month and is something I look forward to covering in a little more depth in the future. Yeah. And you know, devs, if you're listening, we, we'd love to have you on the show, show I think, because yeah, I, I'd really love to get into the nitty gritty of this. And, uh, you know, as much as you do, you don't want to uncork the genie, so to speak. Um, <laughs> right. I think that there's something I'd love to sort of get into with this that would, would be a uh, great, so yes, Please do. <laughs> Last thing I'll say, it kind of reminded me almost a little bit of Ghosts in the Washing Machine. Is that what that Ooh. one was called? Um, not only because of, you know, the actual faces of the devs are being, you know, plastered yeah. across the, the character models and whatnot. But it just it felt like a game that had people that included humor. That was what they would – it was like a snippet of what their humor outside of dev might be. Uh, it didn't feel like they were writing – jokes that they thought would connect with the wider audience as you said you don't have to be in on it it's almost like trying to decode a secret language while you're getting used to it and uh i think that that's a really really endearing quality of uh just genuinely displaying one's humor for people and you're either going to pick up on it being you know tongue-in-cheek or you aren't but if you do pick up on it the sooner the better because it is uh incredibly rewarding in that way yeah, I know we don't put like an official stamp on this every month when we do horror bites, but you know th- this is game of the month, if you will. Say it's, it's there, yeah, it, uh, undoubtedly, and there is a strong month generally speaking because this this collection is unreal with the, the things it has. But yeah, and there are so many games we haven't covered here. You know, twelve whole other games at least. You know that we haven't gone to, and so I you know went and played a few of those, and they were really good too. But you know if we trying to keep the format, trying to keep the formula. And yeah, 
I mean, one of the games actually was a game we covered before on Horror Bites, I think, which was uh, They Speak from the Abyss, which was like, it was, I, I kind of marked out when I saw that somewhere else. I was like, oh, we've already covered this. It's like, yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> especially when you, I guess you see it in the um, Spectrum Mall and you're going around that. And so a quick word on that, just to end that. I do like that as a hub idea. Um, you know, that each uh, demo is a shop front, you know, and, you know, do you have to play certain ones to unlock other ones? And, uh, you know, I didn't do that, you know, because time and <laughs> when to play the right things like, that we were playing. Um, but still, I went back afterwards and sort of did the wander around like that to go with that. And I really like that as an idea. And you know, to give all this away, you know, as a demo disc effectively, seems mad I, I suppose it's just because of what we've done you know with, with horror bites of coming into all these like short experiences that generally don't ask for money necessarily up front that, that they'll suggest it and you know for the most part i found that you know i will put my money where my mouth is if i enjoy it i'm like well of course yeah, yeah. Have, Likewise. have yeah but um yeah this is like to get this much and not pay for it. it just seems odd so you know like i said where where i can i basically yeah, wish list stuff pay for, you know pay for patrons if i can if i like stuff absolutely and it has to be done because these are great examples of the genre in so many different ways and even the stuff i didn't like as much there's much to like in it you know so i think that's the you know the testament to what we have experienced uh, doing this monthly segment is that there's so much fun stuff you know it, you, you can find something interesting even when stuff's not great great there's something about it that still feels invigorating yeah and i'll just reiterate you know what we said at the top of the episode it was like these were the ones that we picked from this experience but you know just like you i've gone and played other ones that i and ended up enjoying them for the most mm. part so Definitely, of course, obviously, encourage people to check out the ones that we've covered in this episode, but more importantly, dive into the rest of the collection, whether it be, you know, exploring the Spectral Mall and kind of stumbling upon something that's been unlocked or just going straight to that unlock all access kind of menu. And, you know, if you pick something at random, chances are you're going to find something that, uh, you know, is either going to be along the lines of the types of horror experiences that you've enjoyed, or like me, you're going to stumble upon things that you never normally would, but you're like, yeah. well, I'm here. Why don't I just give this a kind of roll of the dice on this? Couldn't be more than 30 minutes. And then I end up having an experience that not to say all of them are my favorite, but more often than not, each of these experiences does at least one thing that is unique or distinctive. You know, yeah, we talked absolutely. recently about, you know, the idea of, not every game or even movie, right, has to be your favorite thing or even something you necessarily enjoy. But what they do have to do is do something that challenges maybe your preconceived notions about the types of experiences that a horror game or subgenre could offer or just challenge like mechanic conventions or something along those lines. Doing something unique or different, um, especially when, you know, a majority of the devs that we've been enjoying their work from are not asking for money, right? So it's the type of thing where you're getting an experience that is more often than not coming from a place of passion where they feel very confident that they could perhaps do something mm -hmm. that 
pushes something in a direction that you haven't seen in a lot of mainstream games and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I'll stop beating that horror bites drum because yeah, I just <laughs> this segment is so much fun because we get to cover again such a wide range of experiences from such a wide range of devs and. Uh, yeah, as always, I look forward to doing this all again next month with you. Yeah, and well, we will be back to the, the regular format, I'd imagine, and uh, probably, hopefully, earlier in the month because you know October, and we have a we have a few things to cover. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> that is true. This month was very busy, um, so this month's edition of Horror Bites is a little late, but you know we'll be back to uh, our regular first week of the month uh, Horror Bites coverage for uh, October and then moving forwards. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but uh, as always, Neil, it's a pleasure chatting horror with you for Safe Room. Yeah, until the next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show updates. You can also drop us an email over at saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next week. <laughs>